of stewardship was make all the money that you can. We like that one, don't we? But without having resources, there's no resources to manage. So the first step of stewardship is using the God-given talents you have for his kingdom. Whether that means actually going out and earning money or like we just demonstrated uh, with song to lead worship and with music and all these kind of things. But you have to use what God has given you first and foremost to promote his kingdom. So it first starts with making money. The second part of the series will start today. It's give all that you can. So give of your resources. We are only here for a temporary time. And we first have to make the money, make the resources, the talent, so on and so forth. But then we have to give of it. And then the next two Sundays, we will look at saving all you can. And then the favorite one, spending all you can. Because once you earn it, you've got to eventually spend it. And so today, we will uh, be in Luke's gospel. We are looking at parables that Jesus taught for our sermon series on stewardship. Not going in any order, but we'll have parables that represent each teaching point. And today we will be in the 16th chapter of Luke, and we will look at a parable from starting in verse 1 through verse 13. So if you will, follow along as I read it aloud. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and he charged, charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do? Now that my master is taking this position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Ah, I have decided what I shall do. When I am dismissed... As manager, people will welcome me into their homes. So summing his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, How much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of the light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth. So when it is gone, you may welcome you, they may welcome you into the eternal home. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So this is kind of a tough parable, isn't it? It's one that you look at and Jesus is holding up a dishonest charlatan as an example. So what do we do with this? How do we use this parable in relations to stewardship? Well, it does reference a steward. 
a manager of someone else's property, so that's there. Well, we just kind of go straight comparison. But really, this isn't an example that we're used to using. Um, commentators have struggled with this particular parable. They, they've tried to kind of put spins on it to show how this really was a moral person and how, you know, maybe he was actually just counseling uh, this interest that this manager shouldn't or this landowner shouldn't have been charging in the first place and, and that this was really kind of a cancellation of debt it goes back to some of the passages in Deuteronomy but I don't think Jesus was trying to put a spin on this man he commends him for his dishonesty so it's out there in the open so how do we use this parable all right let's think of it another way so who likes to watch movies? So most of you got your hands up. So most of us go to the movies from time to time, and we like to watch them. Well, there's this one that came out not too long ago called Going in Style. Morgan Freeman was in it. Anybody see this one? All right, so a few of you saw it. Uh, it's a great movie. But it kind of gets the point of what Jesus was saying. Now, in this movie, uh, you basically have a bunch of retirees who have just found out that they're retirement funds have been uh, basically locked down and it, you point to the greedy people at the union and all this kind of stuff and it was this bank that was kind of in charge of all this stuff and you know blah 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 it goes on but basically these old guys were going to have a revenge plot of robbing the very bank that had stolen their retirement money something that they had worked all their lives for now bank robbery is not set up as a good example to follow is it no, but if you've seen this movie, you are rooting for these guys to pull off the caper. Why? Because the people they are robbing were the dishonest crooks. You also see the same kind of storyline going over when you have the crafty robber who is going to rob a casino. Do you ever feel sorry for a casino getting robbed? Generally, no. Because they make a business of robbing people. So this is kind of how Jesus is using this example. When we see rich man... We are not starting a story about someone who is set up high as an example. This is not somebody that the people that Jesus was talking to would have recognized as kind of a hero. This would have been kind of the arch enemy of most of the common folks. So we are talking about people of means. And so this rich man who had employed this steward, this manager, to take care of his wealth was a person of very substantial means. Because did you hear the quantities of the debts? 100 gallons of olive oil. You know, these are big numbers. This is not your subsistence farmer who is just trying to eke out a living. Not only does the landowner possess much wealth, but his sharecroppers also possess a lot of wealth and just the sheer amount of debt that they owe. Because to owe this kind of a debt, you would not have been a subsistence farmer, but you'd have been a person of means. Because this is more than likely a cut of what their land produced. So basically, they were having to produce more than this to live off of. And this was a large interest rate. And so basically, we are now have a story that is cast to where the dishonest person is more like your common Joe. A little bit lazy, I guess. A little bit squandering, I guess, yes. But he was set more as your, your hero. In some parts of Luke's, we see that he uses this idea of reversal of fates. The person that you think would be the hero now becomes the villain the person you think is the villain now becomes the hero 
So in many ways, it is Jesus' teaching technique that he uses it this way. So we use these stock characters. And if we follow our context, we have to remember that there is a change taking place. So this takes part of Jesus' travel narrative, uh, or Luke's travel narrative of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. So the closer and closer we get to the end of the story, the more conflict that he runs into because he is on his way to the cross, his ultimate destination. And in this, we see that he's bumping shoulders with his enemies. And a lot of times, especially in Luke's gospel, it is either the Pharisees or the scribes. So this whole teaching lesson actually begins as he's rubbing elbows with some of these Pharisees. But did you notice the first verse? The context changes. No longer is he teaching a large group, but he has now turned to his inner circle. He has turned to the insiders, while the outsiders are looking in, but he is now addressing his disciples. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples. So this is not a story or a parable for general understanding on how to use resources. This is a story to the insider. Jesus' actual follows on how to best manage what God has given you. And this idea of wealth, of dishonest wealth, is how he points to it. And, okay, let's back up. So, just a little bit before this was also a very common parable. Have you ever heard the parable of the prodigal son? Of course you have. You don't even have to be a church person to understand the parable of the prodigal son because we have this throughout our culture. Never go to church, you probably still know the story. What does the younger son do? He goes off to a foreign land and squanders his master's money or his father's money or his inheritance, whatever you want to do. So this parable is actually picking up on the curtails of the prodigal son. What also takes place in the prodigal son? This inner soliloquy, right? So he's talking to himself. He's trying to make a decision on what he shall do. And he comes with, oh, you know, even my father's hired hands have it better than me because I'm in this pig pit as a little Jewish boy with all these unclean animals, and I just want to eat what those pigs are eating. He said, I will humble myself, and I'll throw myself at my father. And you know how the story goes. Father meets him running and all those kind of good things. We have an inner soliloquy here, don't we? And so this dishonest steward, this manager, says to himself, what will I do? Now that my laziness, my squandering days have come to light. He's thinking to himself, well, all these other guys who work on these farms that I manage, he said, you know, they're strong guys. They're used to doing labor. He looks at himself, you know, the kind of little nerdy bookkeeper, and sees he's got little scrawny arms, little scrawny legs. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig. I can't do manual labor. He's too proud to beg. So what is he going to do? He says, I, I will go to my master's debtors. Hedge his bets, his plans. So this part we don't really understand, do we? Because we don't have this kind of quid pro quo type exchange of favors in our society, in our culture. You know, if we do somebody a favor, maybe, or maybe they won't uh, pay us back. But in Jesus' day, in this society of honor and shame, it was a big deal. If you gave somebody a favor, you were almost in their debt to return it at some point. 
And so now we have this manager who is basically sent from the office to go collect his books and return to go over accounts. Comes up with a lightning fast scheme. And on his way, he basically calls all of this landowner's debtors. Now, we're given two examples here, but there was probably many other ones that he called in. And he starts lowering debts. There was an arbitrary means on how he decided who got what. Because 50% reduction is a big one, but the next guy got, what, 20%, something like that? You can do the math. I'm not very good with it some days. But he's just calling in and trying to get somebody who will take him in after he loses his job. Because he knows as soon as he returns with those books, he's done. And he's already told himself, "I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too proud to beg. So let me try to hang on the favor of these people and that's what he did because he sent something just like the prodigal son did there was an urgency about his situation for the prodigal it was literally starving to death and for this shrewd manager it was about earning a place of existence on this earth Because he was going to be unemployed, destitute, without a family to return to. So he had to find favor somewhere. And once they realized their dire situation, they both made a plan to act. And they acted with urgency. And so that's one thing that this parable does. It causes us to consider time. How we use our time. And when we talk about stewardship, we first have to talk about earning resources, using our talents to the abilities that God given us. We know that some he gave five, some he gave two, some he gave one. So talents aren't even across the board. There's not this sense of equality that everyone is giving the same shake because we know as humans that if we look out in this world, not everyone is given the same shake. Most of us as Americans are born into a place to where we can make an honest living. But many people across this globe basically live on scraps their entire lives because of different cultural systems and things and so forth. Going to school, you know this. There are some kids that will always make the straight A's. And there are some kids that will struggle to get a C. And they are prouder than that C than that one who has no struggles with the straight A's, aren't they? But does that mean they all should go out and earn the same salary? No, not really. You earn based on your abilities. You earn based on your worth ethic. You earn based on your situation in life. There are some of us who know their kids will go off to school. And there's some of us who know that they will never be able to send their kids to school for whatever reason. So we're all placed on different scales. We try to talk about equality in these things, but we have to be honest. There is a scale about life. It's about what's being human. While democracy and all these things are the best that we can see in a human government, we know that in this life, things are corrupt and unjust, and people don't get a fair shake. And so as we consider these things, we have to consider what it means to be a Christian in light of Jesus' first coming. So as Christians, we claim the name because we believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the incarnate word, as we sung earlier, who was sent, born of a virgin, who lived a very earthly life, 
a humble existence, son of a carpenter. And after three years of his earthly ministry was crucified for your sins and for mine. We are the ones who nailed him to the cross. We are brought back as we are convicted and as we humbly come before the cross to that very point where this Jewish carpenter was nailed because we put him there. We were the historical context that he took the cross. No other reason but us. Because he calls us to be his. He calls us to be his followers. And his followers understand that time is limited. That we don't just have eternity now. But we have a very finite existence. Whether you are given 100 years of life, 42 years of life, 33 years of life, two years of life. We understand that we live a finite existence. And being born means we will die one day. But a lot of times, when we have our health, when we have our strength, we think time has no end. We don't see the car that is coming down the road. We don't see the heart attack that calls us home early. But Jesus understood this. Because he was on the road to Jerusalem. His earthly time was limited. And he looked out. And he looked at this steward. This dishonest child of a wicked generation. And he saw that when pressed. They will use a sense of urgency that we cannot find. On this side of the children of the light. Of those who follow God. And follow righteousness. Because they seem to have all the time in the world. Because their earthly home is only temporary and their eternity is eternal is secure so he points out that those who have no hope in eternity they sense the urgency of the situation and this steward did he sensed the urgency of his situation and in leaving the office to go collect his book and returning home he came up with a plan and executed it he called in all these debtors he reduced their debt. He had them rewrite in your own hand so that the fraud would not be evident. Because if he just went in and changed it all on the books, you can tell. But the pages were concealed. And his plan went into effect. And apparently it was successful. Now some have argued. Now, was this manager who praised this steward Jesus or the landowner? Most English translations will steer you one way to the other. But actually in the Greek it's more ambiguous. So people have argued, who was the one praising this manager? They said, this man was about to get fired. Why would he turn as his boss and praise him for swindling him even further? Doesn't make sense. Maybe it was Jesus holding him up. But do you know what? doesn't really matter in the scheme of this parable who was actually praising him because he was set as our example he was set because he understood the difference between wealth and this dishonest wealth for Jesus wealth was the knowledge of the gospel was the knowledge that God loved his creation so much that he would send himself in the form of a baby to die that is the only wealth that truly matters in this world, is the knowledge of the gospel of grace and mercy. 
when it says the little things, or in my version says faithful in the very little, very little. In earthly terms, we are talking about great riches. Jesus refers to that as the very little. We're not talking about the difference between your, um, you know, I lost my train of thought on that one. But we're not talking about uh, income from a child versus income from a CEO of a business. We're not talking about those kind of differences. We're not talking about if you bring home $1,000 a year versus you bringing home $100,000 a year. Earthly riches as we see it, this money, this manna, memma. You can figure out what I'm supposed to say. But we're talking about it in a way as whatever we consider rich in the standards of this world is very little in comparison to eternity, isn't it? Jesus calls us to give like that shrewd steward where he used dishonest means because there was a sense of urgency. If he was going to ensure his security for this time being, we are to act that way. We are to live in a way that we use our money like it's not ours because it's not. We were given these resources, these gifts. We were given what we consider earthly pleasures, all these kind of things. to consider it dishonest because the true resources, the true honest wealth that we have in this world is recognizing who is the owner. We are not the owner. We are not the landowner in this situation. We are simply the stewards, and we are managing someone else's property. God has given us all the property to manage, either in the form of actual property, in the form of talents. We are given a task to manage what we have. You know, some of us will earn lots of money over the course of their lives. Some of us won't. Some of us will work hard and never get ahead. And some of us will not work at all and seem to all fall in our laps. Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter where you fall in the spectrum, whether you will receive the five talents or the one. You have to put what you've been given to work. And you have to use it with urgency. Because we live a finite existence. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And just think. What are you going to do if on the day you die, you're like that rich man who had the bumper crop? He said to himself, hey, I'm going to tear down my barns and bigger, build bigger ones. And then I'm going to sit back, kick up my feet, and enjoy life. Little did he know. That was his last day to be here. So what are we going to do? Put it in a bank account? Who gets the money when you go? Your kids? Maybe. Your church? Maybe. doesn't really matter. Because once you die, you have no control on where that money is going to be spent. Because you're gone. You have to live in a way that looks to the future, not to the present. So when we discuss the topic of stewardship... We have to use all the talents that God has given us to earn our way. Either through actual resources or through gifts of music and song or teaching. Whatever you want to call it. But then we have to use our 
resources also as stewards, like this shrewd manager who doesn't look to the present situation but looks to the future. Are you giving everything you can that will ensure your eternal glory? Or are you just sitting on it where moss and rust and corruption will destroy? Jesus points out these things because you have to remember he was on his way to the cross. We have experienced the resurrection, but we long for the day Christ returns. We are in that time where God has already intervened, but is not yet complete. There is a sense of urgency. It doesn't matter if Jesus returns today, tomorrow, a hundred years from now, two thousand years from now. We are not guaranteed our next breath. And if we live in any other capacity, we are not living up to how God calls us to live. How God chose to give us the example through Jesus Christ, His Son. So I have to ask you, what were the results of the steward? We don't really know. We don't know His future. What are the results if you're a Christian and you have found a relationship with our Savior. We know that one, don't we? We're guaranteed eternity. What about the rich young rich man? In this situation, if you skip ahead just a little bit, it's the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus came begging at the gate day after day. He died of starvation. While the rich man dressed in his royal robes and had all the fine wine and food that he could ask for dies and there's that scene where you see the rich man suffering torment just begging for oh Lazarus just put a little tip drip of water there on my lip to soothe this agony but Lazarus the one who had no advantage in this life was welcomed to the bosom of Abraham in the life to come Consider these stories as you leave here today. Join me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful that you have given us this opportunity to return to your house. And Lord, as we enter this time of our service, I pray that you burden the hearts of those who have not accepted you as their Lord who are trying to serve the riches of this world and who are far from you I beg that you turn their hearts towards you for we know that we can only serve God or this world and I pray that we change our ways that we turn to serve you only it is in your name we pray Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you've made a decision and like to make that publicly known, if you would like to make First Baptist Church your home church, or if you're in need of prayer, please come forward at this time. Let's stand as we sing. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me.